Welcome to Think Like a Dog podcast, where we explore dog behavior and psychology-based training to help your dog achieve their full potential. Welcome back to Think Like a Dog podcast, and today we are on episode 20, and we're going to talk about resource guarding. We're here with Connor, and we are going to start off by um, talking about how, what does that mean, resource guarding, you know, how does that start, and what signs to look for. So um, the first point that we made here is, you know, when you have a dog that is resource guarding, could be many things, right? It could be from human to items to toys, food, space. And um, I guess we can start off by talking about how does that even start resource guarding? You know, is that something that builds up um, over time because of different things you allow in your relationship? Or is there another reason behind that? Yeah, resource guarding is something that we focus more so on the prevention side. And that's something that we want to prevent uh, from day one of bringing your dog home. I am, I mean, I give the same spiel in almost every single session. And that is, are you ready? When a new dog comes into a home, you know the spiel, right? The first thing that they're going to do is they're going to, is they're going to identify resources. So they're going to look around and they're going to be like, okay, where do I get, um, you know, food or, you know, water, toys, um, how, how do I get affection, space, where am I allowed to sleep, where am I not, right? When a dog can have any resource or all of those resources, whenever they want them, they own them, right? And when a dog owns a resource, it is their responsibility to keep that resource theirs. So a lot of times resource guarding can happen on the most um, kind of surface level from just really... Um, freely given resources, uh, from, from the get go. Most of the time that we see resource guarding, it's not just something that like the dog only resource guards food. They normally will resource guard something else, maybe not to the extent of the the first thing, but it's normally not just about the one item. It's about the fact that they feel like they are, they've been told since the jump that they own it all. Yeah. And I think the, the more common, commonly known thing is that there's a leader and the follower in the role relationship. And I think that's where the, the common knowledge about dogs kind of ends. Um, and where we get our jobs is talking about resources, right. Mm -hmm. Of, of how we actually get a dog to clearly understand they're in the, the following position and, I, and I assume, you know, Millie does as well is we, that's where we start is, is management of resources, who, who views themselves as control of these things and, um, start from there. And I think when we say the word control, it's got bad connotations, right? So, or negative connotations. I look at it as who makes the decisions about the resources. So it's not like you are keeping the resource from them. It is that you are the one that decides when it is a thing that they can have, when it is a thing that they can't, uh, what extent they can have it, right? So it's not that it's just if your dog resource guards toys that you just control the resource, meaning you never let them have it. It's that you let them have it, but when it's your idea, not theirs. So prevention wise, um, you know, with our fosters, with Brick, the, the new puppy that I own, it's uh, toys are not just out for him. It's, it's my idea when I bring out a toy and I play with him. I'm active with him with the toy. The only toys that are just out are the like teething puppy bones in his crate. Right. Um, but I want all toys to be something that 
I am the giver of, right? And and I am the one that creates rules and boundaries around these toys. So it's not just like, okay, he's not thinking about a toy and I go over there and I get it and I put it down and he just can play with it. It's I go over and I get it and we practice tug or we practice leave it or I let him chew on it for a little bit and then I teach him how to back off or call him off of it, whatever it is. But it is absolutely... I mean, resource guarding happens because a dog believes that they own something. And, and when a dog believes that they own something, that's a dog that that resource is just there whenever they want it. Is there a difference in how you deal with a dog that, example, you adopt and they come to you with resource guarding issues versus a dog that you've had for a while and that resource guarding kind of build up over a period of time mm-hmm. and then you start noticing it? More and more, you know, like with, you know, what some of some people like in our previous episode said, puppy is resource guarding things they're picking up in the oh, walk. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And then if you get a dog that you just adopted and now you're like finding out they're resource guarding the food bowl or the water bowl or, you know, how would you deal with different situations like that? Uh, per- personally, for me, it's not that I would deal with it differently. I think I would have a little bit. I don't know, part of me wants to say I would have a little bit of a different energy with it, right? Like, so if I have a, a dog who I just brought home, which I did, I adopted a Mastiff from Cobb County Animal Control who was, I mean, about to be euthanized because of how uh, reactive he was. Uh, and he would resource guard literally anything. I mean, anything that was just like, I mean, that was his MO. Um, I didn't do it. I didn't do anything crazy different. I, I wasn't, I mean, he still got the same rules and boundaries that I would say um, would be necessary to kind of undo a relationship, uh, like a resource guarding that came from a a relationship based thing. Um, that would still happen if I just met the dog, it would just be more of, I would be uh, not even more patient. It's just, I would be more like, this isn't about me. Let's just keep this going and see if this, you know, getting him on a routine is going to be a little bit better rather than I am having to teach you brand new information than I taught you for two years. Mm. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think it's a difference of like not how we're working through it, but like how we view that work of is it preventative or are we working through something? Um, and I think that kind of shifts based on the dog you're, you're dealing with. If, okay, I, I know that all dogs have the potential to resource guard, so I'm going to do preventative work with all dogs, mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to take a dog who's already resource guarded much more seriously than a puppy that doesn't. And up the structure with a dog who's already resource guarding for sure. Like that's a dog that, you know, if I bring him home and he's two years old, whatever. Right. And he resource guards like the second that I get him home, then I am like, there's not going to be that, um, little bit of wiggle room that a lot of people want when they first adopt a dog, Mm -hmm. which is like, okay, I really set the tone. Right. Uh, I did my first 24 hours. Right. I feel like I need to cuddle with this. I'm not going to do that with a dog who has made it very clear from the get go that they are going to resource guard. Now it's rare. I feel like for a dog to come into a home resource guarding, um, and have that truly be, um, resource guarding. I think it's most of the time if a dog, if you just adopt a dog and they just randomly start resource guarding, like the second that you get home, get them home. Most of the time that's an insecure dog that once you start giving them rules and boundaries, that's going away. It's, yeah. it's the res- the true resource guarding is a dog who's like, you told me this was mine for two years because you let me have it whenever I wanted. Right. Mm. That makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. That makes total sense. A lot of people reach out to us actually, because they have dogs that they're fostering that are showing resource guarding issues. 
And those are the dogs that never got any structure when they're mm-hmm. in that foster home, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, although many people say this dog resource guards their bed or whatever it is, that's not really the issue, right? Is that they're not really given a lot of structure most of the time, not every situation. But and the more foster homes they go into, most of the time, the, le- the less structure they get because people feel bad. And, and I think going back to the insecurity part of things, um, it, it's, it's just like, you know, with our last episode of, of reinforcing things we don't even are, we're not even aware of that we're reinforcing. I think that's where a lot of resource guarding sparks up, um, especially with space and affection, which we'll get into. But just, you know, we, we view as a dog getting scared and coming to us as a good thing. And, and yes, I want a dog to come to me as opposed to away from me. Um, but I don't want a dog to climb inside of me and sit under me and, and cower like there's no other option. It's, it's either be right under me or all, all in you know, the, the end of the world. Right. Um, that's where I see, you know, our human brain getting the way of, we want our child to love us. We want, we want all of these things, but we don't want what it develops. Yeah. It's a matter of like, you know, for, uh, when a new dog walks into the center, I can kind of tell, um, a lot just by how they walk in. Um, but when they go and sit down, if that dog goes and like sits on their foot, right on the human's foot and and is staring at me, that's resource guarding, right? That's resource guarding the human. Um, and I tell people when I'm going through, you know, the, the last three episodes that, that, um, we just had, which are kind of our coping mechanisms or our big three, which is crate place by my side. When I mention by my side, they go, well, the dog really feels safe by my side because they choose to be here. And I go, no, right now your side represents something that they own and that makes them feel more powerful to deal with situations that they are not innately comfortable with dealing with. Right. So the dog kind of walks into the center and he looks at me and he looks at the dogs through the window and behind me and they go, okay, this is a situation here. I need to make myself feel more powerful because in reality, I am a very insecure dog. Um, and so look, I own this human. Look at me sitting on her foot. I take her, I'm taking her space. So we tend to be, uh, when, when dogs are resource guarding us, it's not as a way to turn their brain off. Like our goal is it's a way to basically say, Hey, I'm powerful. It's, it's the person's like fueling the fire a little bit, not intentionally, obviously, but it's a matter of why they come to your side. Do they come to your side to use you or do they come to your side so that you can solve the problem for them? And and I think these are things that with two humans, right, are very obviously toxic and unhealthy, Mm -hmm. right? And, and, you know, in, it's very similar to how people interact with their, their family, their, their loved ones. It's very similar, but the difference in lies is the communication that's going on. Mm-hmm. And with dogs, we can create our own perception of the communication we're getting um, and, and ignore what's really going on in some cases. And, and that's where I, you know, as a dog trainer, I get nervous because it's like this dog's clearly uncomfortable and you're encouraging it and, and don't, don't view it as that. So that's, I mean, that's why I have a job, but that's, that's what's that, that fear of that continuing to be reinforced going home, even with new knowledge and new information is, is what scares me as a dog trainer. But well, and I think it's like exactly what you said of the, um, it's a lot like human. So if I am at a bar with my husband and a guy hits on me and Luke comes up and punches that guy in the face, that speaks really more to me and Luke's relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. 
But if I get, you know, if somebody hits on me and Luke just comes up and stands by my side and as he has done before, reached out and shaken the other person's hand of like, hey, I'm Luke. I'm, you know, I'm Millie's boyfriend, mm-hmm. fiance, husband, right? Um, that shows that there's a healthy relationship here and a confident human, right? Yeah. Of I'm not only confident in our relationship, but but myself too. So that's the difference of is your dog using you as something to almost pick a fight, like that you are the power behind the fight, right? Or is your dog being like, okay, I'm, I exist here and I know that I'm cool here, right? But when it comes to resource guarding, just, I mean, anything, I think mo- one of the most commonly um, m- common misconceptions that I get is that a dog who is resource guarding is normally a very dominant dog. It is the opposite. A dog who is resource guarding is normally an extremely insecure dog. Um, and that dog is normally doing other things like barking at everything that they they hear on the walk or, or in the house, marking on the walk every two seconds. Marking is not necessarily... Um, a form of dominance. It's a dog who feels really insecure and is trying to pick up real estate on the walk, right? So they're lifting their leg on everything, basically going, I own this, I own this, I own this. And marking does not have to be something that only male dogs do. Female dogs can absolutely mark. But it's a matter of, if is the dog doing that because they feel like, okay, I am so confident that I do own this? Or is the dog feeling like, I am not very, feeling very confident, so I need to own all of these things, right? So it's a matter, our main focus is prevention. And, and by the time that people come to us, it's often, you know, we're not necessarily on the prevention side of it. We're on the, like, let's handle it side of it. But those two things do look kind of similar of prevention and also handling it. And in the last episode, we talked a lot about earning the behavior. Um, so until we create rules and boundaries around resources, we can't expect a different response or a belief from the dog about whether they own those resources or not. So we are not in the business of putting food down and just like, I mean, correcting the dog when they go for it or when they go for us. It's a matter of, okay, do we have a calm mindset around food? At least a calm-ish mindset. Calm is hard to achieve for a food-motivated dog. Do we have a respectful mindset around food? Um, Is this something that we work on every single day? And then our big thing with food is we just let the dog eat, right? Like it is, we are the one species on earth that messes with another species while they're eating. That's, I mean, asinine to me. Like I, I, I would bite you if you tried to eat my food while I was eating it. Like if you're sticking your hand in my food while it's going yeah. in my mouth, yeah. what? That's crazy to me. It's also not something that it's not going to, it's going to make me feel as a human way more reactive if you are like petting me and pulling on my hair and like tugging my shirt while I'm eating. Like that's going to make me go back off. I'm doing something, right? So when the dog is eating, leave them alone. It's not a matter of desensitizing them to something that it it is very normal to not like. And and I think a lot of people view resource guarding as teaching them how to take it, be, have something taken away from them. Mm -hmm. And while that's true in a way, it's more of, it's better to view it as how does this dog earn it from me? Mm-hmm. You know, it's yep. not about, hey, let's take this thing away from them over and over again. It's about making it clear of how to get that thing in the first place. And I don't, I mean, that's the same thing with balls and toys and things like that. I don't ever grab a ball out of a dog's mouth ever. Like not even my own, not even my three month old puppy, because I don't want to ever create competition around that. And I think a lot of times, 
the the um, most popular ways uh, that, or at least the most kind of the ways that people think of when when it comes to resource guarding of dealing with it. Those are the things that actually fuel the resource guarding. So you're creating competition around uh, a resource rather than creating an expectation around a resource. I'm glad we went into that because, you know, a lot of people and even the initial idea that I had in my head, resource guarding is, can I take whatever is in my mouth, my dog's mouth away when, you know, at that moment, just yank it out of their mouth and it doesn't work that way, you know, and and I feel like a lot of people think it, think the same thing as resource guarding. They have something in their mouth and when immediately go into their mouth and just Which, take it away. like safety wise, some, it right. is, you know, there is a level of like, if your dog is eating a nail, right, you yeah, should be able to just sure. kind of grab something out of their mouth. But there are some dogs that are going to be more guarded over their body. Uh, and that's something that you work on just in general. But I mean, I think that is the biggest misconception is that resource guarding is something that you should just be able to take an item away from a dog whenever you feel like, because you are just this kind of, all-knowing being with your dog, which is not fair. And you would not allow anybody uh, that you are in a healthy relationship with to do to you. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that I see a lot of, and especially with um, guarding humans uh, or affection from humans, it's a, a human who believes that the dog is guarding this resource because they have not had enough of it. Right. Because maybe they are not getting enough affection or they were they they didn't get food on a day to day basis in their previous home, whatever it is. It most of the time it's because they've had a lot of it. Uh, I have worked with literally one case of a dog that I um, I firmly believe is because that dog was starved and because that dog had to fight for food. Um, And that dog I worked with in a very different way than I do most of my resource guarding. But most of the time, your dog is not guarding you because you don't pet them enough. Your your dog is guarding you because you pet them whenever they want. And they think, okay, I own you, right? Every time I'm near you, you put your hands on me and I'm allowed to move you and your space and be on top of you and all of that. You are telling your dog, through those actions, in fact, to guard you. And a lot of times, too, I see that, especially with dogs that are up for adoption and they have been in foster homes, they use the guarding of a human as protective. Mm. They're very protective. They're very, you know, they will guard you. They will whatever. I don't know the idea. It's it's funny sometimes when I read that and (laughs) I'm like, oh, there's a problem there, you know, that is going to have to be worked through. It's not healthy for a dog to to protect. Because well, nobody's a in danger. Human. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I have people all the time of my dog is protective, and I think it, or they'll say, I think it's a protection thing, and I go, Are you in danger? When were you in danger? When your dog just decided to bark at the leaf on the driveway, whatever it is, right? It's not um, how we. And I've said this before many times, almost in every episode, how we describe behaviors directly affects how we respond to those behaviors. So when we say protective, a part of us goes, that's really sweet. Like my dog loves me enough to <laughs> yeah. protect me. Right. But then when I say, no, your dog's claiming you, they go, Oh, I don't really like that. Like, that's not nice. I wish my dog didn't do that. Cause I, they don't own me. Right. Right. But we can believe that they don't own me, but if we are not addressing all of the time and all of the access that they have to these items or to you, then yeah, they do own you. And when you are talking to a client that has a dog that has resource guarding issues, 
you talk a lot about crate. You talk a lot about boundaries. You talk a lot about structure. Can you explain why those are the steps you have to take to, to create, you know, a way to solve these resource guarding issues? Yeah. So I think most people think of the, the, the obvious ones, you know, food, water, um, toys when they think of resources. Uh, I think the two most important ones are the two they don't think about and that's space and affection. Millie already touched on affection and kind of there's, I could talk about affection for a long time. I, I, cause you know, it's, it's the one part of our, our, our training that we're really, you know, it, it's really a connection. Um, and, and a lot of people, uh, use that the wrong way. Yeah. Um, but touching on space, I think that is, is, is the really most important one because I, I think the, the, the idea of if they always allow are allowed access to to it, they own it is, is very true. And it it continues to prove itself each day. I walk into a pack of dogs and and that crate really allows you to one, give them a safe space that they completely control. And, you know, they don't have to worry about anything going on, but, but also gives you that, that peace of mind that when they are out of that crate, they need a leader, they need a leader. And there's no excuses as to, you know, Oh, they're on the couch. They look real cute right now. They don't need a leader right now. That crate really allows you. Okay. I know that when they're in that crate, you know, he, our dog's calm, cool, and collected. They have their own space so that when we're outside of that crate, I'm, I'm even more inclined to give this dog the rules and boundaries it needs to feel comfortable in its own skin. Yeah. You, I mean, a lot of times, um, you will talk to someone or if I'm having a conversation and, you know, dog, dogs come up. Weird. Yeah. (laughs) Never happens to me. Never. It's never happened. And, um, you know, they ask like, Hey, my dog has this, you know, what do you recommend? Like we could just solve this in a conversation. But (laughs) I always talk about the things that you guys taught me is, you know, start creating boundaries, start putting your dog in a crate, start doing all these different things. And they're like, but why, you know, I just want them to drop a toy when I tell them to drop a toy. I don't want them to stop sleeping with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want them to, I don't want to put them in, in the crate because they don't need the crate. The only problem I have is when I want them to, to get, get something out of their mouth. It's the uh, classic, my dog is so sweet. I mean, don't, I mean, they're the sweetest dog in the world, but they try to eat people who come into my house. <laughs> I hear that all the time. Like, you don't need to tell me that your dog is sweet. You need to just say, my dog will bite you when you walk into my home, right? I believe you that your dog is sweet, but I don't, I mean, I don't stay in business with sweet dogs, right? I don't need to like your dog. I need to help your dog. <laughs> um, but it is, it's another part of, I want my dog to do something different given no change from me. And that's not fair. That's just not fair on any, in any healthy relationship whatsoever, whether it's human and human and dog and dog or human and dog, it doesn't matter. You cannot expect something different from them when you are not willing to give anything different in return. Now, how would you um, break it down into steps of someone listening right now? They have a dog with resource guarding issues. Step number one, how would you start to create that relationship? So like we talked about our big, um, kind of common themes that uh, we can resource guard our food. Absolutely. Um, toys. Absolutely. Sometimes dogs will resource guard water, um, space and affection, right? Let's talk about space and affection first. So step one, assuming the dog is already resource guarding your space, 
we're going to do things like crate train and place work because we are controlling the resource of space in that moment. Connor's big thing is, is affection, right? So, cause I'm, I firmly believe that if he was a dog, he'd be a golden retriever. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I love looking at everything in terms of space, everything, because I feel like if I was a dog, I'd be a herding breed. Right. And I always tell people when you own a herding breed, you have to be, um, you, you own a master manipulator of space. That is what they are bred to do. So I do have a lot of dogs that are, if they're shepherds, um, if they are collies, whatever, they are more likely to resource guard space and they are very good at it. Um, so controlling the resource of space by having a good crate routine of they sleep in, in the crate every single night with the door closed, which is something I feel like I didn't think I would have to specify as much as I do, but yes, with the door closed, because if you're asleep, you can't know that they're still in there. Um, but uh, feeding them in their crate, which is good on both ends of controlling the resource of space and also preventing uh, resource guarding food, uh, which we can get into in a second. But um, And then place work, which is you go here, you stay here, you do nothing. If I stand up to go walk into the kitchen to get a drink of water, you don't come with me, regardless of if there is a physical boundary there. Um, when you are on, um, like a walk or let's say you come to a training session at the center, I have never, ever in one year of being open and we see different clients every single day, I have never had a dog walk in there for any sort of resource guarding that the dog did not sit directly in front of the human. That's, I mean, that is such a good sign of, okay, you are owning me in this moment. What I do every single time, we talked about it in the last episode, that I bring my dog anywhere is if I'm seated, he's next to me. He is never past my knee, right? So I am always in between him and the biggest potential trigger or um, biggest potential new thing that could make him uncomfortable. So making it very clear to him, you don't own me. But also, this is not your responsibility, and I will not fuel this fire for you. I'm not going to agree that this is something you can deal with. Yeah, and we touch a lot, a lot on the on the mindset of a dog, and that I think some you know obedience training that that world especially views that as like you you don't care about the dog's body. We care about the dog. That that we know how big of a role that plays in their that's mind. That's the part that bites. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. So just like that that. That physical positioning is still, it comes, you know, pretty primarily to that dog itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to like how I live with my dog though, and, and exercises that I can practice when it, you know, if a dog is resource guarding my space, I'm going to be very aware of, let's say I am doing an exercise, which I do all the time with Kemper of, I can sit on the floor and that doesn't mean that you are going to come and lay on top of me because he just assumes that if you are on his level, you're there for him, right? So we work a lot on um, what we did with your dogs of because that was resource guarding a human, right? Yeah. Um, of I can kind of be on your level and that even with one dog does not mean you can come up to me. I have to invite you into my space, especially when you have multiple dogs. Let's say you sit on the ground and you call one dog. That does not mean the second one can come over. Even if, this is a huge one, even if so far everything has been okay, right? So I am very, very big on prevention because in our job, if I don't prevent, it can be a it can be life or death, right? Or it can be a giant vet bill, or it can be a dog getting rehomed, right? So I would I have a lot of people who go, oh well, I've done this once with them, or I've done this um, 
you know, a million times with them and there's never been an issue. That does not mean there will never be an issue. So I want to make sure I'm capable of saying, okay, I can be on your level, call you in, tell you to go, call you in, tell you to go. And nothing means that both of you can come in just because I didn't, you know, I was here, right? That's a good exercise to practice. But I mean, no furniture, that would be a huge one, making sure that they're not following you around the house because that is a dog who is policing you in your own home. Um, You know, when you go and answer the door, if there's a guest coming over, you put your dog on a leash, you have them next to you, you're standing in between them and their guest. It's, you know, the the steps, I guess, look different depending on the severity, um, but also it depends on, uh, you know, kind of your relationship with them. Where do you need to work? Yeah, I wish a lot of times when we were talking about dogs, we would like replace the word dog with a like friend, you know, like, oh, my friend follows me from room to room. Like she she's always there. My friend jumps on (laughs) my guests, right? Like my friend who lives with me in my basement, every time they hear the doorbell ring, they run upstairs and they jump on my. How weird would that be? Yeah. Or, you know, even um, as going back to uh, bios of dogs that are going up for adoption Lots of times people say, this dog follow, would love to follow you around the house mm. and they would never want to leave your side. I'm, I'm like, well, that says they have separation anxiety. Right. That's That might be the reason why they get returned yeah. after they get adopted because that's something that's not viewed as cute a lot of the times because when you leave the house, that dog can't be alone. What are they going to do? Start getting into things, you know, and then you're going to walk into a mess. Yeah. But so, like you said, if it was, that was a relationship and I had, I would never be in a relationship with somebody that could not leave my side. Yeah. Oh my God. Like you wouldn't, that would be the most, that's like the, um, a picture of an unhealthy relationship exactly. of you can be over here and I can be over here and we can trust each other to both kind of come back together. But it, that's really not what separation anxiety is, 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 um, it's not like your dog's gonna, you know, your dog thinks that you're going to leave forever. It's your dog believing that they are responsible for you. I think we are planning on having an entire episode on separation anxiety because it's a super common thing. Yeah, it really is. And with, you know, dogs that are experiencing, you know, these issues, if we're talking about them in other terms, like I said, replace the word with friends, then then you start to realize like maybe this isn't such a healthy behavior for my friend, you know, to do this. Mm -hmm. And we need to really start putting our different perspectives on because that allows us to see a a situation differently because we just we don't really take our dog's feelings very seriously a lot of the times because we're thinking about it as cute or, you know, that's just how they are. And, and I think that that holds a lot of owners back. They, mm-hmm. they don't want to come to the realization of my dog could be better at things. So they, they don't want to like admit that one. And, and when in reality, that's, that's the first step of the process. Like it, we aren't the people that you should be trying to um, persuade that your dog is good. We mm-hmm. don't think that any dog on this planet is bad. We And we also know that every dog on this planet has potential to bite, has potential to do all of these things. So just be honest with yourself so that you can work past that. Um, I think a lot of what you said of, you know, people don't want to admit their, their dog is potentially bad at things. I think when it comes to resource guarding, um, 
and it's, you know, by the time they come into the center, it's very clearly resource guarding, but there are other things that are also resource guarding at home that maybe they don't understand are also resource guarding, right? Um, like the dog is resource guarding food and then I go, okay, well, your dog's sitting on your foot right now. That's resource guarding as well. And they go, oh, it is. It doesn't have to be biting me, right? And, and they, it, you know, what you said of um, the, they don't want to admit kind of where their dog is at. I think it's more, they like looking at that like their dog is protecting them or they mm. like making an excuse for their dog's behavior or their own behavior of, well, my dog probably had a horrible life before I found them and they probably were starved before I found them. So that's why they're resource guarding food or, you know, they probably had never had toys before I found them. So they just need all of the toys ever. Right. Um, and, and I think that that is the thing that fuels the fire. That's the thing that kind of creates it and cements it. Um, rather than makes that dog understand, okay, yeah, these are cool toys and I get them sometimes, but they don't belong to me. They don't belong to me in every single moment. Going to what you said of calling your dog, um, like your friend replacing that. We get a lot of people who are like, this is my baby. And I tell people all the time, you would not let your baby treat you like that, right? Like if this is your child, you are not going to let your child sit on your lap whenever you want, when you're having a conversation, like jump on your shoulders or run out into the middle of the road and greet the guest at the, at the driveway, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to have your, allow your child to scream all night and to tell you, um, you know, when they want something right then, right? That's not how you create a good human, right? But you allow it from your dog. And so if it is like your child, put those rules in, in place, the same rules. And I see it a lot where I have people who I know are tough mothers to their children, like really rules and boundaries, but then they go to the dog and it's none of that applies, but it's just applying that same concept. It, fine. It's your child. Then treat it like one, give it the same rules and boundaries that will eventually allow it to go to college and not live with you. Right? Like yeah. m- most of the time we don't do that. It's just such a different thing, but we call it our baby. Yeah. Now with resource guarding there, we talked about food, how to prevent toys, space. Um, Lots of families have babies and they start resource guarding the babies. How would you, you know, work the dog off of that situation if they're resource guarding children? Yeah, um, that's a big one that I see a lot, unfortunately. But it's because of this mindset of when you bring the baby home, especially like, you know, new parents, they want the dog to like the baby, especially when it's like your like first baby this is your dog. A part of you probably feels guilty of, oh my God, my dog is not going to have as much affection or time or whatever. So they need to be best friends, right? This baby and this dog need to love each other or else I'm going to feel really bad for my dog, which is not true. That's just, you know, that's a different uh, phase in your life, but people come home and then once again, it's full access to the baby. It's I walk this baby in and you are allowed to lick it. You are allowed to do whatever you're allowed to come up to it as long as you're sweet and you look like you like it. Right. Rather than, you know, it's not anywhere close to the same, especially risk wise. But when I brought brick home, Kemper wasn't allowed to really go up to, I was making the rules of like, back off. This is mine. This is my responsibility. And now I just complained to you guys before we started recording that he won't help me train the puppy, but (laughs) I made it clear from the get go of he's my responsibility. When you bring your baby home, you set a rule of you are not allowed in this baby's space without being invited by me, even without worrying about separation anxiety, that's a safety issue. When your baby is before they start crawling, you don't want your dog seeing something across the room and then being very okay with like running over your baby, right? When they start crawling, that's going to be confusing for the dog. And so we want to make the dog very aware, 
no matter where this baby is, you have to be invited into this baby's space, right? Especially when they start walking. And then we talk about making sure that we teach the child how to respect coping mechanisms from the dog. But it's, I don't bring a, a baby blanket home. We are, I know I just said this, but we're going to have a, an, an entire episode on kids and dogs. But I do not bring a, a baby blanket home. I don't suggest that um, because even when you bring the blanket home, the dog smells it. Dogs can claim sense, right, of, okay, I know the smell. When the baby comes home, it's already it already belongs to the dog because you gave the blanket to the dog. It's about saying this is a new thing. But ideally, everything else in your day to day is still the same because I've shifted structure based on what I believe will happen and the routine of of having a baby before the baby actually came home. It's a big rule. I'm on a whole different episode now. But <laughs> um, but when the baby comes home, it's this is mine. You go over here. The, my responsibility when it cries, when it screams, no matter what, if it moves in a weird way, this is mine. Yeah. And one of the sessions that you have, you recorded this, that you guys were prepping for the baby and you were not allowing the dog to go inside the baby's room mm-hmm. to create some structure and to create some boundaries. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a safety thing too, because baby socks are little, but they can still cause obstructions, right? So coming from vet med, that's a big thing for me of, we see a lot of dogs go into baby baby's rooms and eat their little toys and things like that. And kids are really, really good about not putting away their things. Yeah. So I just make it, yes, as a resource guarding thing of there's going to be things in here that are not around the house, right? That are not normal, that are very different to you, but they are not yours. So stay out. Now, um, if we go, since we talked about, you know, dogs get into things they shouldn't be into. If your dog has something that they should not have, they're in the verge of trying to swallow it. How are you going to take that out of them? How would you deal with that situation? Ideally, I have a leash on that dog or a collar and I create pressure until they release the item. But even more so, ideally, I've practiced that with items before that happens. Um, So that's something because I have a puppy, he is picking up literally everything. Um, and I mean, that's the main thing I think I practice with puppies is the word drop, right. Or out doesn't matter. Um, but we're practicing that with his toys. Whenever we play with his toys is I create pressure, you drop the item. And my, my big thing about drop it is not only do you physically drop that item, but you mentally drop it. So you, you basically like mentally give that item to me by backing away from it. That's another thing with resource guarding is I will not reach out to grab an item even if that item is on the ground, if the dog is right there, because the dog can still guard it. It's in its space. I will ask the dog, move, move back, move away from it. But my drop it includes back off of it. And, and I think that's, uh, that's where a lot of people go wrong is they only expect that drop it to work when it's something they really need out of that dog's mouth. And when it's just a tennis ball or whatever, they're just pulling it out of that dog's mouth. It's that goes back to the 95 and five of work on that 95% with that tennis ball with something that the dog's like, okay, I drop this, I get this back. This is how the game goes. And, and so that you can carry that same energy when you really need that, that thing dropped out of that dog's Like mouth. when you're in a training session and your dog tries to eat a nail, which happened to me when Kemper was a year old, I'd say he so. spit it right out because we had worked on drop it for so long. It was a Practice. very normal thing. Now, did he get that item back? No. Does he always get the toys back? No, but that's because they aren't his. I am the thing that makes those things fun anyway. 
They're not fun without me. Yeah. And I think just a common theme across the board with what we're talking about is, is building that neutrality by upping the rules and boundaries around whatever resource that is. Um, so I think that that's a way to tie it all into together and it looks different for each resource. Um, but I think that's a common theme with the resource guarding. Like you guys say, practice makes progress, mm-hmm. right? So you have to practice those behaviors that you want from your dog before you really have to use them and put those good skills to use. Now, um, we had some questions come up too, and one of them was how to help resource guarding the owner in addition to structure walks and no furniture in bed. Do you want to do that one? I would say to start off is what we talked about with invite versus invade. Uh, I think that's a big thing to have down pat of your dog knowing that your space isn't something they own. So drilling that when it's not a big ordeal, when there's not, you know, stressful things around. Um, so, so that 5% of when there is stressful things around, it's, it's, there's no skipping a beat. Um, and, and remind me what the, it's the furniture and couch. Which, yeah, I yeah. think it was the dog already doesn't go on the furniture and the dog is not in bed. Yeah, yeah. so I, I would I would do place work if just saying down is too much for that dog. And, and kind of our rule of thumb is three under three. So saying no three times in under three minutes, go into some place work so that kind of competition side of thing turns into, okay, let's be neutral instead of yeah. competitive. I think what you said of like, making it clear that the dog does not own your space. I think a lot of times for resource guarding um, humans or owners or, you know, their space, it's, I look for those moments, especially when you've already created the rules and boundaries, you've already done the foundation. I look for those moments when it's more like the dog is using my space, right? So it's less about own in that moment and more about using, right? Because you can't, I would not have a business if I told people that their dog could never be in their space. That's crazy, right? So if you're doing all the practice still, right, and, and, and it's normal, it's default for your dog to have place work, it's default for your dog to sleep in the crate overnight, they're not allowed on furniture, you've done this for a really long time, but we're still having little moments where your dog is resource guarding you. One, I want to look at, are you sure it's resource guarding, right? And and it's not something else, right? Or two, is is does your dog, when a person walks in, do they immediately come and sit in front of you? But that's really the only time they do it now, right? Are they using you in those moments? And look for those little moments of, okay, they're in my space, not in a good way, but they're using it to make themselves feel more powerful. So now I need to address this in whatever way makes sense in the situation. And that could be either just putting them by your side, if you can be intentional with that. That could be putting them on place, if you can be intentional with that. But a lot of times when you have guests over, you can't be intentional with your dog. So that's okay to just put them in the crate. If you have a guest over, ideally, you know you're about to have a guest over and you can put a leash on your dog and prevent that whole thing from happening. But sometimes you can't. Yeah. Now, another question we had here is regarding um, resource guarding for food. Um, it says, I have been scatter feeding my dogs in order to prevent resource guarding and teaching them to share. Is this okay? I mean, that's the same thing we talked about of it's not resource guarding isn't the goal of, re, uh, of working with resource guarding isn't um, allowing a, uh, making it where a dog can just let you take things from it. Right. The goal is also not that the dog is cool with sharing. Right. Um, it's that there is clear expectations around this is yours. This is yours. I am in charge of these items. Scatter feeding, a lot of times I feel like free feeding, scatter feeding, um, that can 
create competition and build drive around the food, just like petting your dog while they're eating, just like taking the food away, right? It's not that you are going to compete with that food. It's not that you are asking the two dogs to compete for the food. What you want to do is you basically want to say, this is yours. That's not over there, right? But this is, I will give it to you once you're calm-ish, right? Or respectful. This is yours. That's not over there, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's, a lot of times we deal with resource guarding or when people come to us, they go, well, we tried this, but that thing is the thing that created drive around it. And it, it, I don't know the situation, but it sounds like the dog's frustrated around, around food and kind of falls in with like slow feeders of making that already frustrating process more frustrating for the dog. It's probably... It's frenzy. It's yeah. like a frenzy in that moment. You're almost just like intensifying this like oh my God, I got to get the food before this person takes it from me or before this other dog gets that piece of kibble. And just because, like I said it before, just because it has not happened yet does not mean it won't ever happen. You are actually making it way more likely for your two dogs to fight by scatter feeding them. Um, just because you're setting them up for there's one kibble left, let's go at it, right? It's whoever's fastest in that moment. But it's about, and in that moment, nobody's controlling the resources. They're just on the ground. Mm -hmm. We are big fans of feeding in the crate. Or if you do have a dog who is so, um, uh, so guarded over food, who will guard that food that you can't even hand feed them, um, or that you can't even put them in the crate, we suggest hand feeding for a little while and, and making that food, or that mealtime productive. So one of the puppy bricks mealtimes every day is a training mealtime. It's, I take like a quarter of a cup of his food and we do recall, we do, um, obedience stuff. We do something where he is used to taking food from my hand and having to do something for it. Mm -hmm. The other part of it, he goes in his crate. I put the food in, he, it's already down. Like he's very capable of just lunging for it, which he did at first, um, and eating it. But he knows now at 13 weeks old to back away from the food and look up at me. And then I say, okay, and close the door and I leave him alone. Let him eat. That's awesome. Well, I feel like we covered a lot in this episode and I think we can really bring it to an end. Do you guys want to add anything else? Mm -mm. I think no? good. Well, if you enjoy our, our podcast, um, if you can take a minute to leave us a review, that would mean a lot to us on um, Apple Podcasts or even Spotify as well. You can rate the podcast. Um, and also the day before we record, we post a question box on Instagram. That's where you can drop all of your questions and we will go through them and answer them during an episode. So um, just keep an eye out on our Instagram, Think Like a Dog podcast, and that way you can stay updated on the latest episodes and also drop your questions. So um, don't forget. Practice makes progress. All right. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Think Like a Dog Podcast and follow at Mirror Image Canine for training tips. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at info at thinklikeadogpodcast.com.